I'm your co-host, Landon Phillips. And I'm your co-host, Michael Soto. And we are Gender Gender Curious. Curious. The ways human beings experience and understand gender is always changing and evolving because human beings are always changing and evolving. And this podcast is all about exploring all things gender with curiosity and not judgment. This podcast is for everyone who, like us, is interested in learning more about all things gender. As Paulo Freire said, if the structure does not permit dialogue, the structure must be changed. Today we're talking about gender in society and the way that gender has impacted society. So that quote from Paulo Freire is perfect to begin with. Can't wait. Let's get curious. curious. So last week we talked about what is gender? How does gender impact us? Where does it come from? What does that look like in our day-to-day lives? What are our roles? How are we expressing our gender? Um, how, how do we relate to gender in a gendered society? Which was very interesting, and we, we promised you a part two, and we're back with a part two. We are, uh, and so today we're talking about um, gender and society and how gender has really changed and influenced society, right? How it's um, influenced all of our individual lives, but also influenced the gender norms that we experience and the world as we experience it, uh, because that's pretty different when you think about 2023 to maybe the 1800s or the 1700s or even the 1900s. So um, we are super lucky today to be joined by our first guest, your first guest. We're so excited. Cato so uh, Storage is with us today because he's amazing and made time to join us on this podcast. So, Cato, thank you for being here with us. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks, y'all. Oh my gosh, we're so excited to have you on the pod, and uh, you are just brilliant and do so much amazing work in the LGBTQ community, especially for youth. Um, you're just such a champion, and you're also an expert on uh, all things uh, gender in lots of ways. You've got education and lots of professional work around this, and so I feel really lucky that you uh, decided to join us today. And well, I'm agreed so glad to you it. invited me. Oh my gosh, yeah. so happy to be here with you. Um, do you want to share a little bit about uh, what you do in the world and who you are? Yeah, so uh, like you said, my name is Cato. My pronouns are he, him, or they, them. And I'm the deputy director of One in Ten. So we provide um, social and supportive programs for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, asexual, intersex, two-spirit, and otherwise identified youth um, (laughs) here in Arizona. So that's everything from like our youth centers to our satellite sites across the state. We do things like housing, education programs. Um, but really at the core of what we do is we provide safe spaces for youth to be their authentic selves. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, I love that because like, you know, youth are often leading the way as we see um, in terms of gender and society. And so I feel like you have like a front row seat <laughs> to seeing that every day. Yeah, thank you. And, and I'm really lucky, right? Because our young people have been really core and central to a lot of our social movements. Yeah. I think throughout, um, the history of social movements, right? And they're often not seen as being folks that are contributing to change, but I think young people are really, in a lot of ways, pushing change, and they're really um, fueling that fire for us to change as a society. Oh, absolutely. What do you think about that, Landon? I've I've noticed in a lot of my workplaces, like I'll start a new job, and I get in, I'm like, this is not effective. We need to change this. This system is not good. And everyone's like, well, that's the way we've always done it. I'm like, no, that's dumb. I'll go in and change. But the longer I'm with that company, the more 
and more easy it is to fall into that like oh well that's just the way it is and you kind of get jaded and you just accept the structure and the way things are and then when the new people come in yeah. and they're excited they're like this is not effective we need to change <laughs> you're like oh yeah I used to be like that I feel like that's how like the young people are like they come in and they have fresh eyes to the system that even if there are parts of the system that don't work for us I feel like just being in it for so long makes it so easy to accept like oh that's just how it is like it's going to be hard to change it's so hard to change a whole society and I think young people don't have the same idea of like impossibility that the rest oh, yeah. <laughs> of society has come up with for themselves so they are ready to come in and act and kind of spur everyone else back into action which is fun absolutely I think that's like the the amazing energy of young people right those the fresh eyes on the world the energy and excitement to offer their ideas uh, to the world, right? To change things. And I mean, that's just, I can't even imagine how fun it is working with young folks every day, feeling that energy, seeing them going out, you know, seeing what needs to be changed in the world and then offering their solutions for it. Absolutely. Let's start with a big question to begin with, because we're talking about how gender impacts society. And a lot of that is through a lot of it, you know, today, especially with social media, individual action can have a big impact. But historically and today, social movements have been how we change society as human beings. So let's start with a big question. What are social movements? That is a big question. <laughs> uh, so if we're looking I think for a general definition, right? Yeah. Um, I would say social movements are they're really like organized efforts by collective groups of folks to enact change or to stop change from happening, right? And generally it's folks who are, groups of folks who are dealing with oppression or discrimination, right? And there's something that needs to be changed. And then often, of course, pulling in allies and supporters, right? And so social movements um, are intrinsic with social change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Landon? I tend to think of social movements at least the ones that I've like been a part of as moving forward. Yeah. You know, like moving from the place that we are now to a place that's better, to a place that's more compassionate, to a place that's more uh, inclusive. But not every social movement needs to feel that way. There are movements that, to me, feel like we're moving backwards. But sure. to other people, mm -hmm. that feels like a forward movement. You know, it's just moving from one place to another. Yeah. Um, or uh, we, we talked about when we were prepping for this episode, sometimes that social movement is not a movement at all. It's a... It's a movement to stay in the same place and to maintain right. the system how it is when other social movements are fighting against that structure, that system. Um, so yeah, I would agree that like any group of people that are banding together for a common cause uh, would be a social movement. Yeah, absolutely. I really like uh, that you said organized because mm -hmm. um, that's such a key part of social movements is like it's people that come together, sort of self-organize, right? They agree to a set of ideas, principles, values that they're working for and are working collectively, right, to that end, whatever it is. And so it's, um, social movements are fascinating. I know that I have studied them a lot in my academic life and love geeking out about them. So now we get to do that this yeah. morning. Yeah. Well, and, and there's so many different kinds of social movements, yes. right? And so, I mean, there can be social movements around, um, politics, right, yes. around economics, around yep. um, culture, and I think, you know, one of the things I think about are um, common values, yeah. right, with folks in the group, that you have common values, and although you may not necessarily have all of the same um, 
smaller goals, there's generally one kind of big goal or multiple big goals that you're working towards. Absolutely. That's what I've seen. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think these are all common threads, right, for social movements. So let's talk about a few in depth. I know we, this is, and we're going to, you know, in depth, we, we could talk about all of these probably for like 20 years. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we will, <laughs> we're going to cover several and we're going to start with the LGBTQ movement. So first question, what is the LGBTQ movement? Also, small question, right? Yeah, <laughs> tiny, easy to answer. Well, the LGBTQ movement, I like to call the gay agenda. <laughs> I love that phrase. And I know it's a phrase that's like used against the LGBTQ community, but I think it's hilarious. Um, and the agenda is not to go in and take other people's rights away. The agenda is to gain civil liberties and civil inclusion in society um, to increase general fairness, access, opportunities, um, and allow people, LGBTQ people to be fully integrated into society and to no longer be the other, but to be included in very similar ways to me that like we're seeking for racial justice and you know, just seeking for civil rights for a very marginalized community. Yeah, absolutely. Kato, what do you think? What's the LGBTQ movement? Um, well, I agree with a lot of that. So I think that was a really good overview. Um, you know, it, things that I think of on that, from what you said, are really focused around um, gaining rights and the rights that we do have maintaining them, right? Yeah. So as we look at um, equal access and rights in things like public accommodation, mm -hmm. housing, um, rights to employment where we're treated fairly and yeah. we um, are not fired or not hired for being trans or being LGBT, um, so really about gaining and maintaining rights. Mm -hmm. And also I think within our own community, within the LGBT community, um, doing that work to ensure that, you know, just, be, just because someone is LGBT doesn't necessarily mean that they um, are an ally to trans folks or X, Y, and Z, right? Like as we look at um, how those intersections work. And so I think part of the LGBT movement, the way I see it is also educating and moving forward our own community internally to make sure yeah. that there aren't things like mm -hmm. internalized you know, transphobia happening or transphobia, inter-community transphobia rather happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, such an important, the LGBTQ community is such a big community, right? And so we're talking about this really diverse, massive community of people of all kinds of different genders, all kinds of different socioeconomic backgrounds, mm -hmm. racial backgrounds. Um, so that internal education is so important because, you know, it's we can be, uh, someone can be a gay identified man and still have a lot of perhaps sexist beliefs or, um, you know, really not have a, a greater understanding of uh, the liberation that and freedom that women need, right, mm -hmm. from sort of social norms and gendered norms, um, or women's rights, or trans folks, or intersex folks, right? And so there's that internal education piece is so critical, and often we have to do that before we can do that policy work, right, the civil rights work, and uh, or even the cultural work of shifting how cisgender people understand LGBTQ people. Has that been... Have, have you experienced, I know I've experienced lots of challenges with the internal work because it's like mm -hmm. organizing our own people, which often could feel like hurting kittens. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, first I'll say I think, you know, most, because we have, you know, education programs and things yeah. like that and training programs similar to, to one community. Yeah. Um, and I'll say I, I believe that most people are good people and want to learn and want to support one another, right? Absolutely. And so I think a lot of it for me comes back to education, right? So like 
the things that, whether it's within our own communities, LGBT, or it's um, maybe heterosexual cisgender communities, but there are a lot of things that folks did not learn in school about the LGBT community, Absolutely. right? Like, we were not given this education. In most, most states and most schools, um, there is no LGBTQ history or conversations yeah. happening, right? And in a lot of places, that conversation is completely banned, right? And folks are afraid of losing their jobs for it as teachers and things like that. And so, um, you know, yes, I have experienced those challenges fairly regularly, and most folks that I talk to um, want to learn and want to do better, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. although we can, of course, pick out the instances that have been, um, you know, folks who are just mean-spirited people, sure. I think the majority of folks really, um, once they can connect, once they can learn, once they can hear stories of folks, want to do better. Yeah, that's the important yeah. part of education, right? When you open up an opportunity for people to learn and do better, most people rise to that occasion. Right, and yeah. a lot of it is how do we bring people along on that, yeah. and that's, that's a lot of my focus um, is trying to bring people along on that journey of, okay, well, that's not how you say that. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a better way to say it. Here's why, and let's move forward, right? Instead of um, making people feel like they're, they're not a part of what we're doing. And I think, for me at least, that's a piece of what I've seen as an effective tool around social movements, is how do we kind of convince people, bring them along, and get them to be a part of the change? Absolutely, such an important part. Landon, what do you think about that, bringing people along piece? I a lot of a lot of social movements and that includes the LGBTQ plus movement is that it benefits everyone so mm -hmm. destigmatizing um, the stigma <laughs> around <laughs> um, like same-sex relationships or what it means to be gay what being gay looks like whatever that is all that education and improvement that liberates queer people as much as it liberates the cis and straight people who are limited by fear of being perceived in a way that's stigmatized or whatever it may be, yeah. the, this movement for freedom and liberty really frees the whole of society. It's not just giving more to one group in a way that's going to take away from anyone else. Like all of society is being liberated to love who they want to love and have access to like equal civil liberties. So really everyone has benefited and I feel like everyone can be included in that. It's like I don't believe that you have to be a woman to be a feminist. I don't believe that you have to be queer to be a part of the LGBTQ plus movement and to benefit from it. Yeah. Um, and to, um, I mean, I don't know that you should be necessarily a spokesperson for <laughs> the queer community if you're not queer, but I don't know. I think everyone um, can be involved. And I love seeing, because we say LGBTQ plus as if it's one cohesive unit, but the, a lot of what like gay men go through is not what lesbians are going through, which is yeah. not what the trans community is facing. So having us learn how to support each other in those battles and trying to stay as unified of a community as we can is really, really powerful and impactful. And I'm happy to have as many people included in that movement as we can. Yeah, I love that. Like being in a movement, it seems like is, and I think I've experienced this a lot, it's an opportunity to challenge my own biases mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. learn from other people and really grow as a human being, right? And like, just be a better person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, it's an opportunity for folks to, um, and I'll say for myself, right, to look at the, the points of privilege that I have in my life, yeah. right? That um, other folks in my community do not, right? Yeah. So um, as somebody who is white, for example, right? As somebody who um, does not have, the, or somebody who is able-bodied, right? right? Like looking at how that impacts the way that I show up and what are the things that 
um, I can learn and frankly unlearn, right? What are the yes. things that I can learn and unlearn to be a better ally and support to the folks in my community um, you know, that I'm working with? That's awesome. Uh, Kato, you mentioned um, education uh, that actually reminded me of policy pieces that are happening right now in terms of the LGBTQ movement and how you know we haven't traditionally had a lot of access to like LGBTQ history in schools, right? Um, I know I didn't learn about anything LGBTQ history until I was an adult. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how what kind of opportunities do we have around policy to actually make the world? Uh, more accessible for all people and give all people that opportunity to learn from LGBTQ people past, present, and future? Uh, well, we have a lot of opportunity. <laughs> we have a lot of opportunity it. there. I love it. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, when we think about sending young folks to, to school, I've, I think it should be a place that first and foremost is a safe place, yeah. right? And so I think there's a lot of work to do there, mm -hmm. um, just in general, to make sure that students, but specifically LGBTQ students, are safe at school, right? Yeah. So things like um, anti-bullying laws. Um, obviously, we have quite a few laws right now that uh, have been put into place that specifically target trans youth, yeah. um, LGBT youth, but particularly trans youth, right? Yeah. Like the um, ban on transgender athletes being able to play sports on teams that best align with their gender identity, right? So I think there's a lot of things there that um, you know, in Arizona, we could really work on shifting and changing. Of course, I would love for there to be um, LGBT history in schools and things like that. Yeah. And I think all of those are really important pieces. Yeah, I think, I mean, history is, it's so important to know history, right? Like, we need a complete understanding in, like, it benefits all of us, right, to learn real history, to learn a complete understanding of all of the things that are incredible about this state and this country and all the things, all the mistakes we made, right? So that we don't make them again and all of the, the things that did harm, right? So that again, we don't do those things again. Um, and I just, I don't know, I think it would be, I, I haven't been in K through 12 school or, you know, for a very long time. Me I think you've been in K through 12 school more recently than me at least. Um, did that, was that a little bit of a different experience for you or did you also have the like no LGBTQ history? It was, I, I grew up in California. I was mm. in kind of the LA area. So it is a bit more liberal of an area to be going to school. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of in a like conservative pocket within that area. But for the most part, I felt, I didn't feel a strong pushback from like society at large mm. against the queer community. But I also wasn't out. So I wasn't looking for that. And I was super homophobic because I just was terrible and didn't know anything. And so if there was like oppression and things being silenced, I didn't notice. Gotcha. Um, but there was like, there was a super loud and proud, like GSA, Gay Straight Alliance oh, club. Awesome. And all the teachers had the like rainbow things in their windows saying like, this classroom is a safe space. Oh, awesome. So my impression from being outside the queer community was that it was very friendly for the queer community, yeah. but I didn't have to come out and like transition in high school, I feel like I would have had a very different experience yeah. if that were the case and I was actually like facing it um, head on. But a lot of the conversation that I do hear about the LGBTQ movement and education is this notion that it's about sex. Mm, yeah. And it, the queer community is very sexualized often. And there is a huge element of like sexual Liberation. liberty and yeah. freedom sure um 
but that's not when we talk about kids learning about the LGBTQ community in school, we're not talking about let's teach them about gay intercourse, right. you know, like it's so much bigger than that, yeah. but it tends to be very sexualized and of this, like there's just this kind of prevailing thought that I hear that the queer conversation is a sexual conversation that's not appropriate for right. kids and so it's often kept out of schools. Uh-huh. And that w- that's like saying talking about straight people would be talking about sex. You talk about straight people all day in school and right. don't have to talk about, you know. Yeah. So that's that's a lot of the pushback that I felt was people would be like, oh well we don't want to talk about that, that's too sexual for kids. But like, I think we can talk about a famous author being married to a man without needing to like go into, you know. Yeah. And that's such a good example of like heteronormativity, right? Yeah. This idea that if something isn't fitting within um, like kind of a straight heterosexual framework, um, and often cisgender too, right? Mm-hmm. That it must be othered or something else, right? And so, I mean, when you're, so I grew up in a smaller town in Wisconsin, and the only thing, as I've been sitting here thinking about it, that I could remember learning about in school in actual classes yeah. around the LGBT community um, was the AIDS epidemic, mm-hmm. right? Wow. And so, um, and that was not in a way that was pro-LGBT, right? That was in a way that was stigmatizing. It, it was in a way that, um, I think was demoralizing, right? And didn't actually bring about the fact um, that the AIDS epidemic was ignored for years yeah. by the administration at that time. And you know, thousands of people passed away from that. And so I remember hearing about those things. And you know, um, at that time, we had a GSA at my high school that myself and my friends started, right? Uh-huh. And um, it, was, it was something that um, you know, for us, that was kind of our social change within our little um, bubble in in our school, and it was something that you know we had the Westboro Baptist Church show up in protest oh against gosh. us, and wow. and it was a wow. very big thing, right? It wasn't something that was accepted by the school administration, but yeah. what I'll say is we had um, one one teacher and one guidance counselor who were really really supportive of our diversity club, right? Because oh. that's what we could call it at the time. Yeah. Um, and those two people made all of the change, and so when I think about like you know, what our young people are still facing in schools today, I think about those, you know, there's more teachers now for sure who are very supportive and counselors, but, you know, one or two people can make a big difference, right? To be able to catalyze, for example, young folks' voices, right? To say, oh, we're gonna hold a space for you to be able to do this. And and so even within our own um, ecosystem, right? We had our little social change bubble. And so um, oftentimes I think, we think about social change as, as really big, and it is, but sometimes it can start and spark small, right? Yes. And that's how, for me as a young person, I got really involved in wanting to make social change mm-hmm. because I realized these things aren't right that myself and my friends are dealing with. We don't have any support, we don't have any resources, um, and, and we're being discriminated against. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's why social change is accessible to all of us, right? Like, mm-hmm. we all can contribute in the ways that we are most passionate about, right? We can see the thing that we want to band together with people to make a difference in, and sometimes that opens up a whole new world for all kinds of other people, right? So yeah. that's, I love that, like, that social change is acceptable, is, uh, social change is possible for each of us to make as individuals is such a powerful message that I think often folks are intimidated by. They're Absolutely. like, well, this is too big of a problem for me to, to contribute to the solution, but we can. We can, and, and even if it's with one other person, yeah. right? Because um, I think social movements take all kinds of different individuals to come together, right? Yes. And and that's where I said earlier, we may not always have the same 
um, ways in which we do it, yeah. right? Some folks may be out protesting, some folks may be out lobbying, some folks may be on TV talking, some, some folks may be talking to their grandparents at the table yeah. in, and changing their hearts and their minds, yeah. right? And those are all pieces as, as I think about the LGBT movement over the course of the last hundred years, right? Yeah. Um, not that I was around for all of that, but I think about kind of the history of it. it it's been individuals, yeah. right, yep. coming together yeah. um, to do that. It has been, right? It's it's that, uh, what's the Margaret Mead quote? The, uh, you know, a small band of individuals, yeah, right, coming together? People. Yeah. We're going to look it up. We'll look it up. Okay, we're <laughs> going to find the exact quote, but it's very inspirational and very much on this line of thinking of, you know, every single person can contribute to social change if we make that decision too. Um, I've got it. It is. uh, Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. I love that. Very cool. And I mean, think, I mean, for me, that resonates so deeply with what the LGBTQ movement is, right? Because it's always been very thoughtful, very motivated, very, um, you know, just very generous people to dedicate their lives to creating you know, a nation, a world, a society that sees and values all human experiences in terms of gender and sexuality, right? Mm -hmm. So how has gender impacted the LGBTQ rights movement? And I know, again, small question, Um, (laughs) but how has even the concept of gender impacted the LGBTQ rights movement? I think often and kind of have a belief that a lot of homophobia is rooted in sexism, Mm. that it is bad for a man to be feminine because it's degrading to be more like a woman. Mm. Um, And so I do believe that a lot of our culture's perceptions of gender and gender norms and gender roles and gender expectations and whether it is good or bad to be certain genders plays a huge role in how people treat the gay community, the trans community. I think a lot of that is at its core based in based in gender and our perception of gender. Um, so I definitely do think that it plays a role in like the backlash and the homophobia that the community has been facing. And I don't think, I think that if we had perfect gender equality, that a lot of that wouldn't have ever even been an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, and I also think about now that we have a wider understanding of gender, right? Mm-hmm. So outside of kind of binary systems of male and female, of course, like non-binary folks, agender folks, people who are gender expansive have existed through time, right? Yeah. There, there's so many examples of that through so many cultures. Um, but, I, but I think that's another piece, right? Because as we look at um, how gender expansive folks are um, embraced in the LGBT community, right? That, that is an area that I think there's still a lot of work to do, right? Um, and I think uh, it's, it's impacting our, our current movement in a really, I think, good way because it's expanding folks' um, perception of gender, right? Because even if somebody may be a part of our community but they may be a cisgender man or identify as a cisgender woman um, or identify on the binary in general, um, there's still a lot of learning for folks to do around, I think, accepting and really embracing folks who are gender expansive and non-binary because um, we're incredible people, right? (laughs) But there's still work to do because if you look at gender, I mean, we all know, right, when you're 
when you're born in the U.S., you're often put into like blue or pink, right? right. And so that's something that starts um, in our society so young, and it's something that's so deeply rooted in, um, I guess, culture in in the U.S. culture. I wouldn't say in everyone's culture, but right. the culture of our country that. It's something that we really have to to dig deep to undo, even in our own community, to make sure that we're really accepting and embracing folks who are gender expansive. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been I think it's interesting to see the LGBTQ movement kind of grapple with um, both expansions of sexuality mm -hmm. uh, because you know queer, right? That that's a, yeah. a sexual identity or pansexual, right? Um, or just sexualities outside of heterosexual or gay or lesbian or bisexual, um, and with gender, right? Where we're, we've got um, trans folks, intersex folks, mm -hmm. non-binary folks, and it seems like we're always kind of growing our understanding of these two things that have a relationship with one another, sexuality and gender, yep. but are not the same. You know, yeah. how do you, how has that, or how do you see that shaping today and the way that people are interacting with both of those expansions in our community? I think there's a, for folks who identi don't identify as like non-binary or gender expansive, I think um, there's a lot of interest in learning. That's mm -hmm. what I see is a lot of people are curious, right? So gender curious, right? <laughs> to, to name your podcast and throw that out there. Um, but you know, I, th I think most folks are wanting to understand it, but they're they're grappling a lot of times when we do trainings with folks, they're grappling with this kind of like, how do I unlearn, as I said earlier, these like deep rooted ideas that, you know, there are two sexes, right? Yeah. They say two genders, but two sexes, right? And there, right. there are many more than two sexes. Right. There are many more than two genders. And so um, I like to see it as a, a big area of growth and learning for folks. And I think there's a lot of people who are really curious to do that. Um, and and I, I hope that it doesn't always fall on folks who identify within the community to teach that, right? Mm -hmm. But oftentimes it is. Yeah. And I think that is, um, that's a heavy load to carry for folks. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I've, I've noticed a lot uh, while talking to people about my queer experience, experience with asexuality, being non-binary, whatever it is, I'll get a lot of people that are very curious, very interested, but then in the end be dismissive and say, well, Everyone's like that. I'm like that. Mm. I'm like, mm, I think you need to think a little harder about this. <laughs> so I think a lot of people do, in whatever way, have like questions about their gender or their gender experience mm -hmm. or questions about their sexuality that they might not have ever really had to think about because maybe they can be in a straight or straight passing relationship or they are comfortable enough in their gender that they can live their life as the gender assigned at birth and not have any severe distress. But opening up this conversation yeah. to people who are curious allows for so much deeper thought and exploration and individual freedom. And you don't you don't have to do that while you're learning, like a lot of people don't. But I think there there is so much room for self-discovery, even for people who will not ultimately identify as LGBTQ+, yeah. um, to, to learn and to be a part of that. Well, I think that's in a lot of ways, that's how the LGBTQ movement benefits everybody, mm -hmm. right? Is that we get to um, cisgender men don't have to fall into um, strict gender roles, right? Or cisgender women don't have to necessarily fall into strict gender roles. Like we all get to be mm -hmm. a little more free and a little more comfortable with who we are as individuals within our sexuality and our gender. Yeah, and, and gender impacts everybody and everybody yes. has an experience with it, right? Exactly. Whether they choose that experience or it's pushed on them, right, by yeah. a dress code or other things. I yep. mean, 
There was a time where it wasn't um, okay for women to wear pants, right? right? I mean, these are things that have shifted and changed through time, and I think we're in a big, um, and it's really amazing in a lot of ways, but we're in a big social change uh, space and era right now where those those things are shifting, and we're pushing up against a lot of the systems that, that don't want it to change, right? Yeah, but there's enough folks moving and, and pushing that things are changing. Exactly. Yeah, often the, the harder you push against the system, the harder it pushes back. Yeah. Yes. And then ultimately there's a point where it breaks or changes. Um, but it is that pressure that usually there's greater pressure. I think we're seeing that in how many anti-LGBTQ bills are being proposed right now, like more than I've ever been done in a time when we feel like society is becoming more accepting, right. but we're pushing against this structure that doesn't want to change, and so it, it has to push back. Um, and that was going somewhere. Well, that leads us into the trans community <laughs> yeah, and the trans movement really well, uh, in particular because a lot of those bills are anti-trans bills, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are really pushing back on the idea that trans people uh, deserve equal opportunity. Yeah, could you, I don't think we have this question on there, but I would love for you, because we talk about, like we've been talking about LGBTQ rights, trans rights. Yeah. And I think a lot of people hear that and they say, well, you're not going to go to jail for being gay, so you have the right to be gay. Or you legally can be married now, so that's your rights. Uh -huh. Could you like go over for us, when, we talk, when we're talking about rights that the trans community does not have access to, what are we talking about? Like, What are those civil liberties that are not Absolutely. like federally secured of course, or of course. locally secured or whatever it is for that, that community? Absolutely. Um, and in our history, it has been actually illegal to be gay before you could be yes, arrested yeah. for, um, for being a gay person, for um, living with someone of the same sex, uh, for the same thing as anti-miscegenation laws, right, that made it um, illegal to be in an interracial relationship. And so, um, or there were, there used to be laws, we called them the uh, the three pieces of clothing laws. Uh, if you were not wearing mm -hmm. three pieces of gender appropriate clothing, to your point, Cato, that, you know, there was a time when women did not wear pants. And in fact, that was, they wore skirts. It's not women were running around with nothing. Uh, they were dresses and skirts and gender appropriate clothing. Um, and that was enforced by law, right? And so we have lived through those times. Um, today, we, uh, we specifically, when we're talking about civil liberties, sort of the big three are employment, right? So the ability to have a job, no matter who we are, right? Um, regardless of our gender and sexual orientation and ensuring that LGBT people can have a job, cannot be fired or not hired or discriminated against in the workplace because of who we are. Um, housing, the right to housing. So that's from renting to mortgages, right? Making sure that people can't kick us out of our house because we're LGBTQ or be denied a mortgage because we're LGBTQ. Um, and um, something that we call public accommodations. And this is a really big category. And Kato, I would love for you to weigh in on this one um, because it's such a huge category. It impacts basically most in most uh, aspects of our lives because places of public accommodation are places where the public are. Um, what do you think of that one? I'm sure you see that impacting <laughs> people's lives a lot. Yeah, I, I do think that impacts people's lives a lot. I mean, we think about being out in public, right? Yeah. I mean, to me, it, it comes down to like being protected, being visible, right? Yeah. And today is Trans Day of Visibility, yes. right? So. Um, you know, when we think what I think about like Trans Day of Visibility, right? That's a space where we're as a community celebrating trans and non-binary folks' contributions to society, right? And also, importantly, raising awareness around the discriminations that we're still facing, right? Yeah. As as trans folks, and specifically Black, Indigenous, and people of color, right? And how 
when I think about the, the public accommodations, to me it's like our ability to legally be protected, to be ourselves in the world. Yes. So that is huge. I mean, that's, that is everything from like riding the bus or the light rail to yeah. going to the bathroom to walking into um, a courthouse. I mean, it's, it's everything that we do outside of our homes. Yeah. That's in a public place. Exactly. It's emergency rooms, right? Yeah. And I, I have, I have know what it's like to be turned away from an emergency room because we're trans people, right? Like I've experienced that or mm -hmm. the right to have first responders help you when you've gotten into an accident and you need help, right? Or you're in a vulnerable position and you need people to be there for you. All of these things are that public accommodations. Mm -hmm. And really, I mean, it's just all about having the opportunity to do all the things that everybody wants to do in life from walking down to your local diner and have brunch with your friends to making sure that we are fully protected right in in emergent situations and mm -hmm. you know can contribute to society through through jobs and housing and all of these things and and through making the world a better place right in our families in our friend groups in our communities and so it's about treating us like people <laughs> I think yeah. ultimately is what we get to. But that touches a lot of things because policy touches our lives in every possible way, right? I mean, lots of people don't realize this, but from the water you're drinking to the food you eat, you know, to the clothing you wear, public policy touches all of that. And so it means that we need public policy that ensures that LGBT people can live full lives. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And I, th I don't think a lot of people realize that the trans community doesn't have access to those things or has an issue with those things or has to right. be afraid like getting i don't have my gender marker changed on my id yeah mm -hmm. and i don't get pulled over often because i'm a spectacular driver <laughs> but when i did like i was afraid to give my id over because it was going to flag me as a trans person and i didn't feel safe in that scenario yes. and i don't think that's something that like cis people or sometimes even queer people who are cisgendered like don't have to think about or consider yeah. but there are a lot of levels and I I am enjoying my life as a trans person I'm not miserable and feel like I have zero rights whatsoever but there is a lot of work to be done in yeah. this trans movement in that political world gaining those civil rights and then also culturally because even if all of the policy is perfect that we're fully protected that doesn't make us fit in culturally to society so there's kind of that aspect of things too well and, and how much extra effort it takes us to move through the world yes. right in these systems where um, you mentioned getting pulled over, right? Like for me, it's because um, I don't have my gender marker changed on my driver's license yet, but I do on my passport, right? Because I was able to do that without certain yeah, paperwork. Yeah, I have the same and thing, so, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, going to the airport, for example, if I don't want to bring my passport because I have a habit of losing things, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna bring my ID. Um, that's always a situation, right? Yeah. Because when you go through TSA, yeah. uh, they look at you and they determine what your sex is based mm -hmm. on male or female, and they, they click the box, right? Mm -hmm. So I always get, you know, checked and patted down and yeah, all of that, and it's I've always- I've never not gotten yep. patted down yeah. at TSA since. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I know there are some changes I think that are gonna be happening with that with TSA and training that I'm right. really that I've heard about that I'm really excited about. Um, but I mean things like that of of just small things, what might seem like to other people as small things, but consistently impact our ability to just move through the world, right? Yes. Being worried if you're going somewhere with a dress code, for example, mm -hmm. right? Um, and does your, you know, maybe if your gender presentation um, doesn't match what somebody might 
assume by looking at you, how is that going to impact your ability to go to your friend's birthday or whatever else? Right. Absolutely. It's, it's those small things that I think that, um, make such a difference in terms of ability to build a life from mental health and well-being to just feeling like you can go after that job that you mm -hmm. really want, right? And that is your dream job, or you can go to school and study the things you really want to because that accumulates, right? The, the difficulty in daily life um, can have a massive impact on, on just what you can imagine your life to be. And, f and generally, right, folks who don't have to think about those things and have that um, privilege to not do that, these are not things that when, I say when, not if, when they change, yeah. um, are not, they're not gonna impact those folks right. other than having happier friends and family yeah. members and community members, right? It's not gonna impact those folks in a negative way yeah. to make sure that when you go through TSA or you get pulled over or, or whatever it is, um, that we're being treated fairly and like people. Yeah, exactly, the, the only impact is positive, like you said, it means the people you love also get treated fairly and, and like human beings. We were talking about uh, the trans movement. Um, how has society's understanding of gender changed because of the trans movement? I've noticed a big difference in fashion. Mm. Um, I've, I felt like there's a big push toward, for, for a minute, and it still is, but like androgynous fashion that's genderless, mm -hmm. like no gender, which are usually big, shapeless, beige clothes, um, <laughs> to how, like celebrating clothes the way that they were, super feminine dresses, super masculine jackets, but they can be worn by anybody. And mm -hmm. I have noticed tons of men wearing skirts and dresses and feeling free to do that even as straight cis men. Yeah. Um, and women wearing more suits mm -hmm. and breaking away. So for, for some reason in the last like couple of years especially, I've noticed a, people playing with gender mm -hmm. so much in fashion, which to me is fashion has always been just a reflection of how we're feeling socially and culturally yeah. and as like an art form, an open art form. And um, so to me that signals that there is so much more room for exploring gender and I think that that freedom has come from the trans movement and is a sign of people standing in solidarity with the trans movement. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because we've seen, you know, like since probably the middle of the 20th century, we've seen women's, like what's acceptable for women to wear changing a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Like there certainly was a time when women wore skirts and pantyhose and blouses, right? And that's definitely not what women wear from professional attire to casual attire today. But I think the trans movement has definitely perhaps influenced what also is acceptable for men to wear, right? And yeah, shifting, yeah. shifting both of those things maybe even a step further of just real freedom of expression. Yeah, and, and in addition to kind of that fashion piece, I agree with that. Um, even just gender expression in, in all of its forms, right? So mm -hmm. the ways that um, folks interact, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. we think about things like, I mean, like toxic masculinity sure. or all of that kind of stuff, right? And um, there's been, I think a lot of this has, has come from the trans movement, but there's been, you know, a big push to really expand um, the ways that we interact with one another, right? Yeah. And not having to stay within traditional gender roles. I think a lot of this is also from the feminist movement mm -hmm. um, and ideally trans inclusive feminist <laughs> movement, <laughs> yes, uh, yes. right? But in looking at like how we're moving and shaping um, 
what folks are, how we're able to interact and how we're able to present our gender, whether that be um, with our clothing, with our language, yeah. with our mannerisms, right? Any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love that. Even just an awareness of um, who has the ability to speak in a room, how much time they can take up, and that even being something that people are generally aware of and being more cautious about, right? For cisgender men, maybe mm -hmm. being more aware of taking up a little less space in terms of airtime in a conversation or a meeting and creating more space for other people to talk. Yeah, and even when we think about like drag, right? Which yeah. has been such an important part of our community um, forever, right? <laughs> since yes. since drag has, has been around. Um, but drag is really playing with gender presentation yeah. through performance, right? And so as we look at a lot of, or as I look at a lot of the anti-drag bills that have been happening across the country, mm -hmm. you know, the first thing that I think about is, well, those those bills are anti-trans at yeah. their core, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. it's really about pushing back against this idea that, you know, um, in, in most folks' eyes, I think, who are writing these bills, men wearing women's clothing, although right. we know drag is so much more expansive than that. It's yes. inclusive of non-binary folks, um, cisgender women, gay men, trans folks, right? Um, but I think a lot of those those bills are kind of what you're saying. Sometimes you, you push up against the ceiling and it starts to... Um, mm -hmm. push back, right? And then eventually it, it, it buckles, I'll say. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, in relation to the anti-drag bills that are circulating, those at their core are anti-trans. Yeah, absolutely. They're very much, it's very much about, um, those bills seem to me about pushing back against the idea that gender is not a fixed thing right. that you have to fit into one way or another and there's there's only two options you got to fit into one or one or the other and there's nothing else that can be a part of the equation mm -hmm. yeah I, I think our our language changing has also changed the way that we think mm -hmm. and I've seen so many studies I love like linguistics and language stuff and I, I've seen so many studies of languages that have more words yeah. for types of snow, or they don't have a word for the color blue, yeah. and like research shows that they actually can perceive things better or cannot perceive things because they don't have the language for it or they have extra language for it or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of things that we have changed the way that we talk about, uh, which some people get upset about, like PC culture, like having to be politically correct, mm -hmm. but the fact that we don't tell kids as much like to man up like I haven't really heard anybody like it used to be like be a man man up people don't really say that anymore they're like you have to be strong you have to be brave and just those little changes in language I feel like have made a huge a slow incremental but huge cultural difference in the way that we think about our gender and how we're supposed to fit into that gender mm -hmm. is in erasing so much of that unnecessary mm -hmm. gendered language which might not have felt like a big deal to get rid of at right. first but to be a young boy being raised, never being told you have to be a man, mm -hmm. they will never have a perception of like manhood as having to be tough and having no emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, so like those little language changes that we're having um, and getting having more gender inclusive language or gender neutral ways to express things, I think really psychologically is changing the way that we interact with gender. It's really interesting. Yeah, and gender-inclusive language doesn't take anything away from anyone, mm -hmm. right. right? And that's right. a big piece because, um, so I um, started Camp Outdoors, our summer camp, right, yeah. for LGBTQ youth about 15 years ago. And one of the things that, you know, we were told right away is that a lot of folks would probably not send LGBTQ kids to, or their kids to an LGBTQ summer camp, right? Really? And Whoa. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, because I mean, it was 2008, right? Yeah. And you think okay. about kind of that time frame, and yeah. um, you know, a lot of folks were like, "Well, it probably won't work." Well, it did. We have a lot of folks who come from across the country. Hugely successful. Great. Yeah. Um, well, in and because of so many volunteers and people who help put it on. But, you know, we separate our cabins by age, right? And so for nice. so many summer camps that we've talked to over the years, that was this, like, huge idea, right? Like, that you could do that, and you don't have to base them based on, like, boys' cabins or girls' cabins, right? Interesting. And so we think about things like, um, I've had a lot of experience in, like, outdoor ed, um, outdoor recreation, things like that. Yeah. And a lot of those systems, they really focus on, if you think about gym class, like boys are over here, the girls are over here. Right. And so having conversations with people throughout the year and saying, why don't you just separate people by like apples and oranges or, you know, count who's, whose favorite animal is a bear, whose favorite animal is a shark. Okay, that's how we're going to separate you, right? Like that doesn't. <laughs> I love so that. Yeah. Wow. So that thinking about very small things like that of like, yeah. how do we, de-gender what we're doing. Not because it's not okay if somebody is whichever gender they are, but we don't need to be separating and categorizing things that way mm -hmm. um, with young people because if there's one person who is non-binary or gender expansive or trans, mm -hmm. or one person who maybe is, maybe they are a cisgender girl, but they want to play on the quote boys team. Mm -hmm. Why is that not okay, right? So looking at how we're shifting and changing our language just to make things um, easier and nobody notices that you're doing that right. they don't notice that you're saying okay if you want to be an apple you're over here if you want to be an orange you're over here right. but the one or two or five kids however many that might be trans or exploring their gender they notice mm. when you say gotcha. boys over here and girls over here gotcha right so I think there's ways to do that in, in language that um, educators can do or folks who work with with our communities can do that are really positive I like that. I, I like in particular, like if you're, you know, the separating kids into sort of more elective groups instead of assigned groups, right, right. or things that are beyond their control. It's saying, you know, if this is what, if this is the animal you like more than this one, go to that group. And it kind of also, I think, maybe helps teach children to, or young people to make decisions more or be more, have more autonomy or, you know what yeah, I mean? Feel yeah, like that's they're true. an active part in this because... Yeah. I do remember, you know, always feeling awful having to walk in the girls' line, right? Or, mm -hmm. you know, to lunch, to gym class, to anywhere we were doing. Or, you know, like, that didn't feel good as a young person that also had no language for who right. I was. And if it was just, hey, this half of you walk over here, this half of you walk over there. Right. You wouldn't have had to feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And that that is cool. It does, I feel like, would encourage kids. Because you make friends with the people that you are categorized with. Mm -hmm. You know, like if it's always mm -hmm. girls on this side, boys on that side, that's who your friends are gonna be. Mm -hmm. um, so that I feel like encourages kids to form relationships with others based on shared interest and personality and not just arbitrary categorization, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that is very, very, very cool. That's a neat technique. I like that, Kato. That's very cool. Um, so fascinating. So we've talked about the LGBT movement and the trans movement. Mm -hmm. And Cato, you mentioned another one that we're going to touch on today, feminism. So why don't we dive into feminism and uh, talk a little bit about the ways that feminism as a gender-based social movement has impacted society. So let's start with what is feminism? Landon, you want to jump in first? Yeah. So feminism yeah. to me is anti-sexism. Okay. It's a movement that is for everyone but clearly benefits more groups 
in a more extreme way than others. You know, like women are going to be benefited more by feminism than men, maybe, but it does benefit everyone. It's a taking down of the patriarchy, a liberation of gender roles, and push back against a sexist structure that has caused like a gender hierarchy yeah. in our culture. Okay. Kato. I like that answer. <laughs> I agree with that. I love it. <laughs> I think feminism is also about, um, I think it's about, it has a lot of micro movements within it, mm -hmm. right? There's like uh, gender pay equity, right? Yep. Or um, anti, uh, stopping uh, gender-based violence, right? Or um, uh, access to health care. Yes. Um, and the ability to make, to have a right to choose yes. with your healthcare professional. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Which actually I think um, that just that basic principle of like having a right to the healthcare that your body needs mm -hmm. actually translates into lots of other movements, including mm -hmm. the trans movement. Absolutely. Um, and that individuals and their families should be making those choices and their healthcare providers and mm -hmm. not anybody else. So, um, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really important personal freedom though. Right. To, I, I can't, nobody should be making medical choices for other people. I mean, that just makes no sense if they're, you know, it's not, not your life. You're not their physician. Maybe don't make the. There's no reason to be making medical choices. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't be want to be in that position for anybody but myself. I have a hard enough time managing my own healthcare. <laughs> it's a lot, <laughs> as it is when we're active in our own healthcare. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so yeah, so yeah, feminism is a lot of things, right? And I think it's really shaped. I always think of feminism as making my life possible in a lot of ways because I think feminism has made um, challenging the idea of. There, there's only male and female or men and women possible in, in the world. Yeah, and, and I love that you said that because I feel very much the same. I think that, that like my involvement in organizations that were um, really women's organizations, yeah. but also later LGBT organizations yep. and feminist movements and organizations um, really helped teach me as a young person ways to organize community. It helped yeah. me figure out what are my values, what are the things that I really care about and what are ways that I can um, organize and mm -hmm. use my voice to speak against um, things that are trying to oppress my community Absolutely. and communities I care about. Yes. Oh my gosh, me too. I had the same experience kind of coming up in the world and, um, you know, I really valued, and this is a little bit of a, a complicating thing, which I think we're all still learning how to understand this, but I really valued women's spaces as a young person, as a young adult, um, as a, as a, even adolescents, like women's spaces, like my softball team, right? Growing up and playing softball in high school and in college or playing soccer in high school and in college, those women's spaces were defining for me. I'm still friends with a lot of the women that I played with and like they're so sweet and so supportive of my life and mm -hmm. I hope I am equally supportive of theirs, but like those women's spaces in a lot of ways made me the man I am, which probably sounds funny, but uh, Girl Scouts too is another one. Like I loved being a Girl Scout. I still love Girl Scouts. Um, and I love that Girl Scouts are available to all Scouts now, yep. right? Everybody can participate. I think that's how it should be. Um, but Girl Scouts and women's spaces truly did make me the man that I am in so many ways. I think the same way. I, a lot of my defining characteristics that I'm really proud of that I don't associate with womanhood, I consider right. that part of my manhood experience. Yeah. I learned from women's spaces and from mm -hmm. being socialized in women's spaces. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and um, I agree with both of you. And um, you know, when I was like 18 and 19, and those summers, I worked up in Alaska for That's the Girl Scouts of Alaska. <gasps> what? Um, and it it wasn't only a quote women's space at that time. There were some folks who um, identified as male who worked there, and and um, but it was a space for me as a young person that when I think about what what was it really about the space, it wasn't necessarily the gender of folks in the space, but it was what was being created in that space, mm -hmm. right? Like an environment of being empowered, of yes. self-agency, of working together, of building community, right? Yeah. And and those were a lot of common themes across um, women's spaces that I had been involved in in the past, but also LGBT spaces, right? Love that, love yeah. that. So do you think at the core is the the thing that feminism has really brought to, to it sounds like all of our lives, um, and to society is taking in some ways that focus off, you know, this has to be only for men or only for girls or only, you know, only for women or only for boys. Um, and this is really about the things we're being taught here. It's the empowerment. It's the, you know, anybody can be strong. It's the, anybody can be, uh, emotional, right? Is it like sort of the freedom around, you know, those, it's the thing that matters that we're doing together, not the who is, I don't know, the focus on those gendered spaces, I guess. I read um, Feminism is for Everybody by yeah. Bell Hooks this week. Nice. And she said, I feel like she was actually quoting somebody else when she said it, so this could totally be somebody else's quote, <laughs> but that there's as many approaches to feminism as there are women. Yeah. And I think there's as many definitions of womanhood as there are women. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's one way to be a woman or one mm -hmm. definition of what that looks like, yep. um, and not one definition of what it feels like to be fully liberated as a woman. Mm -hmm. For some feminist schools of thought, it's like rejecting the differences between men and women. For some, it's celebrating the differences between women, men right. and women and finding pride in that womanhood. Yeah. So there are so many different ways to be feminist and so many ways that it intersects with other aspects of people's identities. So being a woman of color is going to have a different ex gender experience than a white woman, which we talked about in part one of the yeah. this episode, last episode. <laughs> um, but there are so many intersectionalities mm -hmm. where feminism has to have a different approach and has to have different priorities, right. which I think is incredible because altogether you have all these different groups working together on these different priorities. And as a whole, it's an incredibly powerful social movement. Yeah. And, and I love that you said that. And I think it is an incredibly powerful social movement, especially if it can include and celebrate trans folks, right? Yeah. And so there, as we've seen, if you look at you know different waves of feminism and different movements um, throughout time, there have been times where like a lot of folks have been excluded, right? right. Like there's there's movements right now to exclude trans and non-binary folks from specific feminist spaces, right? right. We all know about that. Yeah. Um, but there's also been times where people of color have been excluded and not prioritized, right? And yeah. not been included and, and been told they can't be a part of certain spaces. Yeah. And so to me, feminism is that including piece, right? Like true feminism is like, how are we, um, you know, recognizing and celebrating our differences and working together um, to be allies to one another so that we can move forward for equal rights mm -hmm. yeah. um, and equity. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And not, not every conversation about feminism is going to apply to all women. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the conversation has, about right. reproductive rights might not apply to trans women in the same way. It might actually be more applicable to trans men who don't Absolutely. even identify as women, mm -hmm. but benefit from that aspect of the feminist movement. So 
and not every issue of like like a lot of upper class women are going to have very different conversations sometimes regarding yes. gender right. um, than other, like there's a class difference. So I think it's really important to recognize all of those differences and to know that there are conversations that are, like not every conversation has to be about every single type of woman, I mm -hmm. guess, but I don't think that you can be feminist and not be an ally to every single woman. Like you can't be excluding anyone and be a feminist, but not every, like there are things that are specific that will benefit like women, like women experiencing disability. Mm -hmm. And that's really important to recognize that they are having a different experience and do everything that we can for that specific experience instead of having like one umbrella feminism that says that it includes anybody, but in that process is not actually doing anything specific enough right. for, I feel like sometimes when you just have one movement, one size fits all, uh -huh. it's going to fit the upper class white, mm -hmm. you know, like majority or yeah. privileged group. So it is cool that there are so many like branches of feminism and so many women that are being included in that and speaking up and sharing their various stories and needs. And I love that that includes trans women and when it does include trans women. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about feminism, right, that we've seen for so long uh, from the very beginning, even from like the suffrage movement, right, of uh, black women and black men contributing greatly to mm -hmm. uh, the women's right to vote movement mm -hmm. and then, and, and vice versa, uh, women contributing to the civil rights movement, right? Like that's the power of social movements in general, I yeah. think, is that when we, when we stand together, when we work together, when we have that inclusion framework, um, that is about creating a better world for all people, for who you are and not taking away from anyone, right? Like trans women um, being fundamental and an important part of the feminist movement and the women's rights movement doesn't take anything and doesn't need to take any way, anything away from cisgender women being a fundamental part and an important part of the women's rights movement and mm -hmm. feminism, right? Like both can be true. It's, a, it's an and, not an or of saying, Cisgender women are have a unique experience. So do trans women. Both add to feminism. Right? Yes, and yes, both yes. create a more a better society for all people by having that understanding. Absolutely, and yeah. and ideally centering the folks that are experiencing the most oppression. Right. Sure, so yeah. are we centering like we should be centering um, trans folks, centering sure. folks with disabilities, centering. Yep. Um, people of color, right, in conversations. And right. so what you were saying about sometimes folks who um, maybe are um, upper class, like white folks, right, who are cisgender women, um, working, you know, those folks working to really center the needs right. of the community that, that have the highest needs because they face the highest depressions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think Audre Lorde was saying this in the 60s and 70s, right? When yeah. she wrote Sister Outsider, that collection of essays, and was giving speeches at uh, feminist conferences and women's conferences mm -hmm. and saying most of what you're talking about here and most of you know as often being the only black lesbian on a panel right the only lesbian woman and the only black woman um she's saying most of what you're talking about doesn't apply to my life right and so she mm -hmm. was really we've always seen women under the feminism umbrella and the women's movement umbrella pushing to say who, who needs this work, right? And what kinds of different work need to happen for different groups of people? And how do we make it more inclusive, right? So like, uh, 
the idea that of Betty Friedan, right, mm -hmm. in the feminine mystique that um, women should be able to work, right, was very much a upper class, um, upper middle class to upper class white women's discussion where Audre Lorde is then saying, I've always had to work as a black lesbian. Yeah. I've never had the option to not work. So there's multiple dimensions to this idea of feminism and work. There isn't just one way to understand it. And to me, that enriches our understanding, right, of what women need in the workplace. Yeah. 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 We talked about this a bit last time, I believe, but I would love to get your perspective. Like, as, like, I feel like I don't identify with women anymore as a trans man, but because I have the experience of being socialized female and raised mm -hmm. female and now get to see the other side of the coin as a trans person and being in male spaces, um, I do feel like that gives me a certain perspective on what it means to be privileged. And it does give me sometimes a position of privilege in a social group to be in the boys club and to be accepted as one of the boys and to be able to stand up for women in a way that the men would not accept them to stand up for themselves because they have a lack of respect for women. And like there are positions of privilege or just different opportunities or perspectives that come from like a genderqueer experience. Do you feel like you have experienced any of that or how does that impact your feminism? It's a great question. Um, I mean, I would agree with you that I have, um, I have a lot of like perspective in my own experience, right? So being socialized and growing up in a space where, um, you know, I was younger and drove to an hour and a half from my house to like go do like a volunteer day with National Organization for Women, right? Mm -hmm. And I was cleaning out these old signs from like the 60s, Whoa. right? Of like all of the signs that they had that they were holding up in cool. 60s and 70s um, rather. And you know, being in those spaces and getting to experience that, um, I think at that time I, I probably wouldn't um, have experienced it in the same way, right? And so seeing spaces like that or being a part of um, the Women's March and things like that, right? Um, and at, at, at that time, I did not identify as female um, when I was part of the Women's March. But being in those spaces, I think I have a, and I think a lot of trans folks have a unique perspective to, if you were socialized um, female to kind of maybe not fully connect with it, mm -hmm. but have an understanding, right? You're seeing it from a little bit different of a mm -hmm. lens. Mm -hmm. And so for me, as it, as it applies to my life now, right, when I'm thinking about things um, like equal access to healthcare and abortion and things like that, right? Um, I feel that I'm able to speak about that in a way where I have a little bit different of an understanding because um, because of my sex assigned at birth, because of being socialized in um, like as a female at that time, where now I have a little bit different of an understanding of well, some are, what are some of the issues that um, folks who may be um, trans men or non-binary or um, or cisgender women may have pertaining to those things. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right, so we've got three lightning round questions because we're almost out of time. Uh, we're actually a little bit over. Um, so first one, uh, how do you think men have been impacted by our ever-evolving understanding of gender in society? I love that question. I love thinking about that and talking about that because I don't think that men as a whole realize how they've been impacted or how they can benefit from the queer movement and feminism. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as we understand gender, there is certain levels of privilege being taken away from men because women are stepping up, queer people are stepping up and saying, you don't get to be this dominating power mm -hmm. in our culture anymore. 
But then there also is so much freedom being given to men to express themselves, to be emotional, to be vulnerable, to not have to be this like perfect man image that the patriarchy tells them that they have to be. Mm-hmm. So I think that there there is sometimes fear in loss of power as the power structure is changing, mm-hmm. but there's so much freedom for everyone as that power structure comes crumbling down. And I think that does benefit men and give men so much more wiggle room to just enjoy gender and be who they are. Yeah, this one is hard for me to answer as kind of a whole group, right? Because yeah. when you say men, I mean, there's there's trans men, mm-hmm. there's cis men, there's, right. there's folks with so many different experiences. So I, I wouldn't necessarily answer as a whole, but I think, um, I would just say I think it's ultimately it's giving more opportunity. I don't think that it's necessarily seen as that, but I think it's right. giving more opportunity mm-hmm. in, like you were saying, um, gender expression, ability to kind of challenge some of those ideas of what it means to be a man, right? So being able to be emotional, being able to be communicative, right. being able to be a stay-at-home dad, right? Yep. Like all of those things that may traditionally have um, some stigmas against them. And so I think it is absolutely holding men as a whole more accountable. Mm -hmm. And I would say, hopefully giving opportunity to express themselves in in ways that are, um, I don't know, gentle, nice also. Yeah. (laughs) And and of course, a lot of men do, but I think just challenging that idea of like, that kind of like, you have to be a certain kind of man or toxic kind of masculinity. Yeah, I like like to think of it as like, men don't have to be anything in particular including things that are harmful to them right like men whether trans men or or cis men we don't have to be men in ways that hurt us and that make life uh make us less connected to other people right or Mm -hmm. um you know sort of create barriers where there don't need to be whether that's emotional or any other way and so um i really hope that you know building on both opportunity and greater freedom that what expanding and evolving ideas of gender give to men is the ability to to choose to be the kind of men that our our hearts lead us to be right Mm -hmm. and so we can we can show up for the world and ourselves in ways that are healthier um and you know that can encompass everything from stay-at-home dads who are nurturers to um and you know to men who are you know leading in in Mm -hmm. the business world or in politics right and um, it can be all of those things in a, in a really healthy way that is you know expanding manhood I hope in a yep. way that is healthier for men uh, okay so second lightning round question how are young people impacted by our understanding of gender in society or our expanding ideas of gender in society I think young people have that same increased freedom mm. Um, freedom to express themselves, freedom to explore, freedom to discover themselves without the same levels of shame and fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that our conversation, like gender being at the center of a lot of conversations right now, is really empowering for young queer people and also I think impacts the mental health of kids in not a great way. Mm-hmm. You know, like having all the anti trans bills, and that's what everybody's talking about, that's what everybody's arguing about, I think does negatively impact youth, but I hope that those conversations are moving us to a better and a safer place. Um, so they're hard conversations, and I do see a lot of young people getting really, really discouraged by them, but I think overall, like this larger pattern of us expanding our definitions and our understanding of gender 
um, and expanding what it means to be a man, be a woman, how you can be free to be neither or both or whatever it is, I do think is incredibly beneficial and liberating, but a little overwhelming. There's a lot going on in the gender world right now. <laughs> Definitely, I agree with that. Um, I mean, our young people are so smart, right? Yeah. They're the ones who are pushing this change. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously there's adults who are pushing it too, but when we look at even the past 10 years of just how many new terms have come about, and a lot of those terms have been created by people under 25 years old, yeah. right? Of, well, what does it mean um, to be um, non-binary? What does it mean to be agender, right? And like having those conversations and really pushing the um, school of thought and kind of discourse around it forward. And so I think a lot of that social change has directly come from our young people and has, um, I can say for myself, has, has positively impacted my journey, right? As I figured out like, who I am um, throughout many years of just understanding and listening to young people talk about how things don't have to be in a box, right? Mm -hmm. And we sometimes realize, oh, like, I didn't even realize I kind of put myself in this box and mm -hmm. I don't need to be in this box, right? And so um, I, I do think, you know, because one of the questions I get asked a lot just from the general community is, do you think it's harder to be LGBT now or like 30 years ago? And I, my answer is always, I think it's different, right? I, yeah. I don't have an answer for that, but I think it's different. And what I can say is, you know, when it comes to people coming out right now, people are coming out often at really young ages, right? Yeah. You could be coming out as trans at five or six years old, right? Yeah. You might be coming out as gay at 15 years old. And so what it, to me, what that really means is, what support do you have, going back to kind of social change and, and movements and laws, yeah. what support do you have? Because if you're somebody who's coming out at, as maybe trans at like six, seven, eight years old, if you don't have a supportive community, if you don't have a supportive school, if you don't have a supportive family, that experience is gonna be a lot harder yeah. um, for you, right? Yeah. So yeah. It, it's not necessarily harder or easier, but I think it's different because if you don't have the autonomy, right. because you're 17 or under, you don't have the autonomy to make decisions, you don't have a state that, even if your parents are supportive and um, you know, want you to get on, uh, or want to help you get on puberty blockers or HRT or, or whatever else, if you live in a state where that's illegal, right. you're gonna have a lot harder of an experience. So I think our young people are absolutely pushing forward our social change, and they're also um, having to struggle through a lot of like you were saying, um, people's opinions who are making laws that frankly don't have the uh, education to be making yeah. <laughs> decisions about trans folks. Sure, yeah, or the lived experience, right? Or the lived and, experience. And a yeah. relatively new experience, right? I, I really like how you talked about, um, you know, we have kids coming out and having the language and ability to come out as trans mm -hmm. at five, at four, which if I would have had the language for that, I would have, but I didn't, right? I was just like, I'm Superman, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> close as I got to the language to say I'm a trans kid um, and I'm a boy. And so, yeah, what it, I like how you frame that a lot is it's not, it's not about harder or anything like that. It's about different, different circumstances that call for a different response and a different responsibility mm -hmm. as adults for supporting young people and as a movement, as a social mm -hmm. movement. Um, okay, personal question for the last one. Um, Ending on a personal note, how have each of us, have you as an individual, been impacted by social movements and gender? I think I could have gone my whole life without figuring out that I was trans and been miserable my entire life. Mm. Like, I don't know that I could have come up with that vocabulary or that concept on by myself. Yeah. I needed s such a vocal, present, movement 
happening, being in the news, posting. I watched so many, like, BuzzFeed was really big then. I watched so many BuzzFeed, like, gender videos. There were so many people bringing the conversation to the forefront and really challenging our understanding of gender, um, especially regarding, like, transgender issues. And it, were it not for those movements and the, like, how hard those people were working to put themselves out there and make those changes and banding together. And some of those people were, like we were talking about earlier, those small social groups that were just, like, a small group at my university. Mm -hmm. Just one person in my church group speaking out that really impacted me and led me to this self-discovery where I now am a thriving, happy, successful person. I mean, success is relative, but you know, like I, I have been able to achieve that because of the strength of the social movement and being able to jump on board with that yeah. um, and fully understand myself because of what they were doing. So I am so grateful that those movements, like that I was born in a time <laughs> where those movements were happening and that I could then become a part of it. I think um, social movements and social change have really greatly affected my life since a very young age of seeing and hearing things and, and thinking to myself, like, that's wrong and that's not okay, right? And how can I be a part of doing something about it, right? Mm -hmm. And so feeling a, a need um, to, to act, right? Yeah. Even though, uh, you know, when I was young, like, my voice was very shaky. I did not like publicly speaking. I did not like being... Um, in the center of the spotlight, right? And, and through, I think, a lot of work, I figured out how to do those things, but it's because of my, um, it's been because of my spark of like wanting to make things better and being a part of that process and, and bringing people along. And that really has to do with all of the people that have done the work before all of us and all of the folks that, who I've had the, the privilege of working with who have taught me, right? Yeah. Taught me what to do, taught me what not to do, um, and, and inspired me because those are the folks who have been a part of social change movements, right? And so um, I think we all have something to offer when it comes to making the world a better place and creating social change. And um, I would just encourage folks, you know, maybe who are listening, who are thinking about it, um, you know, what's, what's one small thing you can start with if you feel like you're just starting on your journey of wanting to be a part of like social change movements? Because you very quickly will get in a flow of, um, continuing that work and being a part of it. And even if it's just with a family member or a friend, um, that makes a difference. Absolutely. For me, I think, I mean, social movements very literally made my life possible. My parents would not have been able to get married if uh, mm. social movements had not challenged and ended anti-miscegenation laws. And so from my birth to my ability to be a trans person, right, all it's influenced every aspect of my life and really made my life possible. And I. I love that call to action, Cato. You know, we all can contribute to creating a healthier uh, society for all people where everyone has the opportunity to live and thrive according to our own dictates and conscience. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, you start with whatever you are most passionate about and whatever feels most accessible to you. And I guarantee you, someone will look back in 50 years' time and say, those people involved in that made my life possible and made my life better. And that's a part of what we're all here to do, right? Is to contribute to a better human society where everybody can thrive. And so, yeah. One of the things that, that we always say to folks who volunteer with our organization is, you may not recognize or know that you've made a change or helped someone change, but it doesn't mean that you haven't, mm. right? And so, mm -hmm. as I think back about the people in my teenage life and, and older, um, a lot of those folks don't know the impact they had on yeah. me, right? They don't know that they saved my life, that they inspired me, that they pushed me forward. And I think um, 
as we're doing this kind of work, there's always going to be people who it is helping and benefiting. Yeah. And we may not know it, and that's okay. That's awesome. Yes. All right, my friends. Well, Cato, you have been that one of those people in my life. Uh, you have impacted my life greatly by mm. being a strong leader in our community, by being someone who is always so considerate of other people and and really challenging all of us through your example to do the same um, and to create a, a kinder, gentler movement for everyone. Um, I really appreciate that. That Thank is more you. Inclusive. That means a lot to me. Oh, you mean a lot to me. Same. Landon, buddy, you always mean a lot to me. You're just, compliment hour. It is compliment hour. <laughs> I like to end with compliments. With yeah. um, but I admire both of you and have learned so much from both of you. And thanks for sharing this time with me and with our listeners. And I just appreciate the way you both always teach me. So thank you. You as well. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Gender Curious. Uh, you can find us weekly on every major podcast provider, uh, on Facebook at Gender Curious Podcast, Instagram at Gender Curious Pod. We're on TikTok now at Gender Curious. So we're going to be posting some video. Um, please like, follow, share. It would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions or want to reach out, feel free to DM us or email us at hi, H-I, at gendercuriouspod.com. We'll be back next week, like always, with another episode. And until then, stay, stay curious. curious is recorded at full swing studios and is a member of the one community podcast network